When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another game preview Buckeye Talk. We are doing it live on Zoom with our Zoomers, our tech subscribers. Thanks to everybody being here with us. Makes it fun. We'll do this a couple more times this year for everybody listening at home. We'd love to have you as a tech subscriber and get in live sometime. 614-350-3315, 14-day free trial, four bucks a month after that. And that's how Nathan, Stephen, and I become millionaires. All right, we're going to break down this game. And let's off the top say... You know, like last week we said, hey, we want to do kind of like more smart betting stuff and be smart about betting and make our case for betting. Blew it. Lost you money. Lost you money. A push and a, and a loss is a, is a losing money. I mean, I don't know what. Well, but what did we tell people about the push? We told people don't bet this game. No, but we were very strong on the under. We blew that. That's I mean, we, we blew we the under. Buckeye talk like it was like it, it wasn't even it was like 64 and a half and it got into 75 or whatever. So I don't know. We'll try again. We'll talk about it. it's a 14 and a half point game. It's actually a very similar game and over under to last week, which is interesting because you would think Oregon's a significantly better team, but their best player might not play. And it's at home for Ohio State. I also want to talk a little bit about the ticket situation. They are really pushing the ticket situation, Nathan, that it seems like. It's great to have a good crowd. I don't know exactly what it is that they're – they want people to come. They want money. I mean, like, they want a great crowd for the noise and stuff, but, like, it is all hands on deck. It is a $160 ticket for this game. They have went to tiered pricing several years ago. The most expensive individual ticket this year is Penn State at 210 This is the second most expensive at 160 Michigan State at 144 Everything else is under a hundred. Nathan, what do you think of this? That feels like they might not get a hundred thousand for this game. Well, like you said, I, I don't think there's a huge difference between ninety-five thousand and a hundred thousand people as to how loud they sound. But there's um, about an eight hundred thousand dollar difference in, in in ticket sales for that, right? Or like like five thousand times one hundred and sixty, I think, is eight hundred thousand. So um, that's it's a, it's a huge like bottom line difference if every thousand people they get at a ticket price like that. It sounds like a football program that's coming off a year where they couldn't sell tickets. And now they're trying to sell every Correct. single one they can. Correct. That That is, again, it, it comes down to that bottom line. Like this is what we said all along too, is that they were going to, you know, they, they were hoped to recoup some of the losses and things they had to do in 2020 years in the future. And this would be one of those years. So, yeah, I mean, obviously this is COVID related, but I also wonder if it's like the, not even the tip of the iceberg, because this has been a thing that people have talked about for a long time. Like the game is so good on TV. The tickets are getting more and more expensive. Makes me a little curious about it. You can't really take too much away from it because it's, it's a COVID world. It's masks, no masks in the seats, masks in the concourse, though, Nathan. Is that correct? That's the Ohio State rule? Yeah, it, it's and it's especially... I don't even know about the concourse. I think that's probably true, but I know that if you're in an elevator, you're in a restroom, you're in an enclosed area, you have to be wearing a mask, but they were 
making wanting us people like us to kind of spread the word that if there's people who worried that they're going to have to be masked up the whole game, even when they're in the bowl, that is not the case. Yeah. So I get it. I mean, I don't want to make too big of a deal about it. I still ha- I have a very specific memory. of, And this is not where the program is. The program's good. I mean, the team's good. In 2008, when Ohio State lost at USC and they were making the quarterback switch, and I think they came back the next week and played Troy. And it was like, whoa, like it was actually like Terrell Pryor's first start, but there were like empty swaths in the upper deck in a way that was like, man, this was different, you know? And so that's not, that's not where this fan base is. I think I'm really curious. I mean, part of this is Oregon, like Oregon is a good program. This isn't exactly Baker Mayfield coming in here with Oklahoma. This isn't exactly, you know, Notre Dame or Alabama. Some of the series they have down the line. Steven, it's, it's tough. Like Oregon is legitimately a top 15 national program and they're a top 12 team right now, but they don't have quite as much juice as some of the other non-conference games that Ohio State's played in the past and will play in the future. They didn't play well last week and they don't have necessarily the quarterback to go along with the idea of, oh, this might be a top 10 team, potential college football playoff team because a lot of their stars are on the defensive side of the ball. And if you can't put up a legitimate amount of points, you're probably not going to win long-term in college football anymore. So it's a big game on paper, but it doesn't necessarily feel that way. Tim and W makes a good point. It feels like Oregon doesn't move the needle for a casual fan um, in, in the way that a team like Notre Dame will in the future. Uh, Doug, my seats are in 4C and I'm dreading it instead of watching it on TV, right? That, and it's just, and as Ryan says, whether you like masks or not, you're not going to be happy because I think they're trying. It's tough. We get it. I mean, not as many people are going anywhere and stuff right now. And if you're on the fence, you're not going to risk it when you can watch it at home for cheaper. But right. If you want masks, well, there's going to be a lot of opportunities where people won't have masks on. And if you don't want masks, there's going to be times where you're going to have to wear a mask. So yeah, I think in trying to split the middle, they might end up at a point where, people on both sides say, ah, it's not worth it. I don't want to have to do that. Or I don't want to be around people who aren't doing that. So, okay. It's just interesting. They are really pushing it. You can really see, right? Like when Ryan day is like when the PR guy's like, Hey, Ryan, make sure you talk about, we got to sell the tickets. And it's like, Oh, yeah, Ryan day. It's like, boy, Ryan day, you sure seem very interested in ticket sales. All of a sudden money matters. All right. I want to break down both sides of the ball, but I want to start with the talent Comprehensive talent evaluation, which, Stephen, is something that you provide each week from a recruiting standpoint, is how close – I mean, every time you do this, it's like, well, unless you're playing Alabama, the other team does not have as much recruiting talent as Ohio State. Is Oregon close? Are they close at all? How did you break this down? And especially, does it feel like Oregon is closer from a talent standpoint on one side of the ball than they are on the other? Yeah, definitely on defense where they have the – if Thibodeau plays, they clearly have the advantage on five stars, three to one with expected starters. I mean, if you can throw Teron Vincent in there if you want to, but I I think it's still safe to project that Haskell Garrett's the first guy to take the field every single week just because he's the returning All-American, and he wasn't that. So you've got Thibodeau, you've got Justin Flo, and you've got Noah Sewell versus Zach Harrison's just a five-star on the defensive side. Well, on the – offensive side it's kind of weird they've got some quality guys but then they've also got three guys who didn't have ratings coming out of high school two of which took the juco route before they got to uh, oregon in the first place so it's 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 close but i think a lot of their talent is young right now you're seeing a lot of uh, the, the recruiting payoff of the last couple of cycles so it's guys who aren't on the field yet while with some of these upper got uh, upper tier t- talented teams maybe the top five the talent is both behind them and on the field right now so yes it's close by the numbers but there's still a legitimate gap between where ohio state is and where oregon is from most important position standpoint all right let's start first with the Ohio State offense versus the Oregon defense. Kayvon Thibodeau, Nathan, it didn't feel, I didn't see a Mario Cristobal update today. I think the latest one was what he said yesterday, which is like, we're trying, he's trying, they're going to be cautious. I, we're not, we don't have a prediction on that. We don't know. We're just trying to read tea leaves, but we don't know Mario Cristobal. We don't know how they sort of handle this stuff. We don't know if they're usually, you know, overly pessimistic or overly optimistic. So we don't know. But how would you describe how big of a deal it is is 
if Kayvon Thibodeau is is himself or not himself or not out there at all. I mean, it's a massive deal if he's not out there at all. And I think it's a pretty significant deal if he's compromised by this injury in a real way. Um, you know, Ohio State, I know people don't want to hear this comparison. I'm not saying that he is like Chase Young. I'm not saying he's equal to Chase Young. But I mean, when when Ohio State missed Chase Young in 2019, we made a big deal out of the fact that they were missing him for two games that didn't matter. I mean, they, they could win without him. To miss someone of his uh, presence for a, a different game would have put Ohio State's chances of winning that game in peril. And I think that's what's going to happen with Thibodeau because I think we saw last week that there is talent on Oregon's side of the ball. Like I think like, you know, verified athletic talent, but they didn't play that well when he wasn't in the game. And uh, when he was in the game, that team feeds off of him. He's disruptive at a, in a different way than anybody else on the defense was at least small sample size. So um, either everybody else on that defense is going to have to play a lot better or um, or or they're going to be in trouble. I think he might be Chase Young without Larry Johnson's teaching, quite frankly, because the best stuff he brings to the table is just a natural athlete. He's a speed rusher and a power rusher. He doesn't necessarily have the hand fighting techniques or any of the skill that goes along with being a pass rusher. So if you want to make that comparison, he's what Chase Young was when he first got to Ohio State. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. I don't know. It makes you feel uh, you hear people say like you can find national people all over the place who call Kayvon Thibodeau the best defensive player in America. And then you watch him and it's hard to come away and not immediately compare him to the guys Ohio State has run through here. And it just looks different, Stephen. Like it just looks like, well, why doesn't he why doesn't he do anything like he he had a sack last week where he split the tackle on the guard in half a second and was in the backfield. It was like, all right, that is like, that is speed. That is, you know, it got a little sideways stuff. It's like JK Dobbins hitting the hole, like that sideways thing, Mm -hmm. but he didn't, he didn't use his hands. He could have done it with his hands tied behind his back. And sometimes like, it is very hard for me to, to be, I, it makes me less impressed with him because I think of what we kind of see a lot with the Ohio state guys. He is a great physical player because a lot of the stuff, again, you look at Nick Benito at Oklahoma or Will Anderson at Alabama or some of these great, awesome, best in the country pass rushers. And a lot of them don't have as many tools, but he does. He has a lot of explosion. He has some bend. And that's this thing, Stephen, that if he that's kind of his game, it feels like there's no way he's going to be 100 percent. And so if he doesn't have his get off because he's favoring a foot, then it's like, OK, well, then I think then this really gets difficult for Oregon for he, for him to make an impact to change the game. It's hard to really gauge and get a gauge on how good people are when they're that much better than everybody else they play. So they don't have to do anything extra to be good. And so if you're hurt, then all of a sudden you do have to start doing some extra things to just to have your way out there. If you're not a hundred percent and be and able to be the best athlete you can be out there. So that's where the, okay, does he have any hand fighting? Can he do some sizes or stuff? Can he do some long arm stuff? If he can't do any of that stuff and his ankles hurt, which messes up his get off. I like Nicholas Petit Frere's chances. And I like Dewan Jones's chances a little bit more than maybe where I was at the beginning of the week before he got hurt. And I think that's why it's, it's so critical to, just kind of keep an eye on whether he ends up practicing at all this week. Um, I assume they're probably leaving tomorrow. So if it hadn't happened today, I don't know if, it, if it's going to happen, if they'll do some sort of walkthrough here, but like, that's why they say that partially is because like, maybe he could play with the injury, but you've got to kind of figure out how to play with the injury. You can't just sort of show up Saturday morning. I think walk out there. You've got to kind of get a sense about you, about what you can do and can't do and how you would then approach the game. All right, so let's let's talk about the guys who are going to block him, but in particular, Dewan Jones, because Nathan Ryan Day talked about Dewan Jones a little bit on Thursday. Did he not sort of in terms of how he thought he played and evaluating that? And I went through and rewatched like the first three quarters of the Minnesota game, only watching Dewan Jones. And I, I want you to explain first sort of how Ryan Day broke it down. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, he, he's been complimentary of it. I think the question was posed to him today, like, hey, hey, he graded out like among the best, well, you know, at maybe the best tackle in the country this past weekend or whatever it was. I don't know if I think that might have been the PFF grades. And, and Ryan Day said that uh, he thought that that was probably uh, accurate, that he he saw 
um, the the response that they wanted to see from him, and that he he had kind of acquitted himself at the the level that I think they expected when they put him in that position. But didn't he also say he wasn't really tested to some degree? I thought there was a second part of that, a qualifier a little bit. Well, like he said that the the the, the test is tougher this week. He said that the, the, it's a different challenge this week. Oregon's just a, a different set of athletes. I think that was more his point, which is, I mean, a different way of saying that, I suppose. But like, um, you know, Minnesota had one guy up front that people had some concern about and Boye Mafe, some respect for. But as we were just talking about, you know, there's there's more just pure athletic football talent on this Oregon defense and especially in the front seven even and there it's going to be just a different look for him a different experience for him so i think a guy as big as dewan jones right it's like okay well if he gets his hands on you you're probably in trouble and you could see in the run game he's he's just pushing people all over the place and and you know that's going to happen i thought in the past game they really tried him especially in the first half just really almost trying to get around him around the edge, like, okay, well, this guy's so big. Let's see if he can kick out and move a little bit. And he did pretty well. Like I thought he held up there. He definitely had one snap, but again, a lot of it, a lot of it was guys trying to get around the edge, but they weren't doing much with their hands. They weren't, it was like, okay, well he kicked out, he slid and that was it. All right. He got me. Boy, Mafe had one play where he hand fought with him a little bit and Dewan Jones got his feet tangled up and, and fell on his back. And that was like the one play where I thought he got tested and they didn't try him inside much. Right. I thought they were like, we're trying to get around the corner, get around the corner. And as big as he is, he's still, he's too quick for it. His feet are too good. And again, his reach is gigantic. And again, I, I whatever it was, not the last time they played Clemson, it's not last year, but in 2019, right. Or was it last year? I asked Craig to draw about Dewan Jones at one of the media. It was 2019. It was 2019. He was a freshman. Yeah. And, and Greg Stoudrawa said he's going to be a first-round pick. You know, like this is the raw stuff. Size, reach, feet. He's a basketball player. Got feet. So then they, there was at least one play where they did try him inside. You know, start outside, make an inside move. And again, he slid to it and blocked it. But it was some guy. It looked like some 250-pound outside linebacker who I never heard of before. It wasn't Boy Mafe. And it was like a guy who just never had a chance. So, Nathan, the point that I was – I thought I was agreeing with Ryan Day. I thought Ryan Day was a little – maybe I misinterpreted it. I think, like, yes, yes, Dewan Jones held up exceptionally well in his first time as a real starter. We know he started one game last year. But I thought he was catching kind of a – as much as Boy Mafe is a dude, he wasn't – that wasn't a constant matchup. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of catching inferior athletes – kind of a lot and this guy is nimble enough to deal with that without a problem if it if he gets his hands on you in the run game you're done but i'm really curious if he gets a more any more athletic guys with a couple of different moves i do think we don't exactly know yet because what do i know i looked kind of easy he's gigantic though so it's like you can't He's he's always there. He covers like one and a half positions, right? I mean, you can't get around him, but they thought let's try to get around him on the edge and it didn't work. And then I didn't feel like a lot of Minnesota guys sort of had a second thing. Well, I thought it was a compliment and or an analysis by Ryan Day that was similar to some of the ways he was talking about Luke Whippler which was, yeah, I mean, it was a really good first start. Um, although for Dewan Jones, it wasn't a first start. He did start last year against Michigan State. But, you know, if a first time as the starter and it, the kind of the different kind of um, accountability that you now have with that. And they liked what they saw. But what, what do you do next? Like now you've got your feet wet. Now you've got um, all the nerves should be out. You, you know you belong, but now what do you do next? Because you've got to, in both those cases, I think they would see guys who need to take their games to a different level. Everybody did enough that you're not panicking coming into this Oregon game, basically, which is a good start for a week one where you basically reshuffled your entire offensive line. Yeah, no, right. Well, but nobody, I mean, nobody was ever going to be in panic mode. Well, I don't know. If, if DeJuan Jones had come out there and given up a, a like, two or three sacks and after Greg Shujawa basically spent 45 minutes telling us that he was going to be awesome and he had no choice but to put him on the field, there would have been a hundred stories about why the heck would you take Nicholas Petit-Frere in 
away from right tackle and moved Thayer Mumford inside instead of keeping him at left tackle. So, but nobody wrote those stories this week because he was fine. That's true. That's true. That if he had like clearly failed, it would have been yeah. an issue, but they would have had an answer. But then we would have been in a position of like, is Ohio State sort of reshuffling its offensive line all, all of a mm-hmm. sudden for week two? So, yeah, he, that is absolutely true. He did not put them in that kind of situation. Nathan, do you think Harry Miller's going to play or do we have no idea? I, I don't know. They, they certainly aren't talking about it that way. When we talked to Luke Whipler on Wednesday, he was still talking very much in the present tense. Like I'm, I'm preparing to start until they tell me differently, which I, I just assume the way he said that, that they had not told him yet that he wasn't starting as of six thirty, seven 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. And uh, similar to, you know, today from Ryan day, uh, non-committal, he's been um, even less forthcoming with injuries for the past week than he normally is. So um, we'll know more Saturday morning when the status report comes out. Okay. Would Luke Whippler have been the offensive lineman we talked to this week if Harry Miller was going to play? They probably would have just given a stare at Nicholas Petit Fair. Oh, I don't well, know. No, no, I don't know about that because like we, we requested players and Whippler was one of the players that was probably requested by a lot of people just because people want to talk to him about how that first start went. So I, I, I don't know that I would, I don't, I wouldn't buy that theory. A lot of that, sometimes the media stuff is sort of like a reward for a guy who played well and you want to give him a chance to talk Fair. about how he did a good thing. All right, let's we, get to- We talked to Bryson Shaw yesterday and, and we did, Josh Proctor was seen walking off the field after True. practice. So let's talk about CJ Stroud. How many, I, I don't know, maybe people can say this in the chat. Are people like cool? Like they're just CJ? Got it together in the second half. Good to go. Here they go. Or is anybody moderately concerned about the quarterback heading into this game? Steven, where would you say you are with CJ Stroud entering his second career start? Um, if 10 is the most concerned I could be, I'd probably be at a three. I, th- I think he just looked like a guy who started for the first time who wasn't named Justin Fields. I think he's fine. I think he'll grow from it. And the the way that offensive line played, they're going to give him time to throw the ball and make decisions back there. And with these weapons, they'll make him look good, even if he's not elite level yet. So probably a three. Nathan, where would you say you are? I mean, similar range, just because I think, again, you have to remember the context of how um, how new that was for him. Um, and I know it was for um, other people on the field, too, that hadn't played much last year. But I think it's different when you're a quarterback and there's a lot on your shoulders. And then also we, we need to remind ourselves, I mean, as as we're analyzing him, who are you comparing him to? Because I, I don't think at any point in his development was he thought to be in that field's Ewers potential someday conversation. He was always a tier lower than that, right, as a quarterback? I'm I'm comparing him to beat Oregon Saturday comparison. Yeah, I'm not, but I, I'm not. I'm not. So that's what I mean. Like picture, I think yeah. right, but I, I I'm just thinking. I I, I don't think I, I'd be surprised if quarterback play was what cost Ohio State the game. I suppose so. I, I don't I don't I don't think that is a very is very high on the level of concern. In the chat, skeptical on CJ. CJ needs time. He's got a blanket called the offense, which yeah, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave will make a lot of people look good. Not concerned yet. CJ will be fine. Comfortable here. Moderately concerned, like a four out of 10. Good experience last week and we'll get better. This week, CJ has to pick up the blitz. I think he just needs to settle in. Um, yeah, super cool with the guy who made his first start in two years in front of the largest crowd he's ever played in front of on the road in the rain against the top six-ish D in the Big Ten. Two out of 10 worried. Uh, after the poor start, he's only gotten better, so I'd expect the improvements to stack. He has proved he can do it. Question is, will his first start in the shoe get to him? Showed enough last week for me to not be worried yet. I'm, I really want to see him. I, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, that's one of those things. Sometimes it's like I'd like to see him make some certain throws. But it's like, if you can score 50 without him making those throws, then why do you do it? The Fresno guy last week ripped a couple throws down the middle of the field, right, which is there, you know, that's there's often some soft stuff in the middle of the field. Minnesota did a little bit, a little bit last week. He kind of missed his biggest throw in the middle of the field, right? He threw behind Olave, and that led to the pick. A lot of money on the bubble screens, RPO stuff. You can see, you know, the offensive line is blocking like a run, and he's pulling it and throwing that little quick thing to Garrett or Chris. A lot of stuff on the deep ball, which is like, again, why do you why do you need to dance around with linebackers and safeties when you can just throw over the top of the wide open guys? But just looking around 
college football, Nathan, you do just see, you just see people make those throws a lot of the time, right? You just sort of, sort of ripping stuff down the middle in a soft spot in the middle of the defense. And that's just like the next thing I think for him to do, because he's not a gigantic, gigantic threat in the run game. I think he's capable. I don't think he's a huge gigantic threat. And so if Oregon at all can try to do anything with Wilson and Olave, and maybe they can't, and maybe nobody can for 12 games, but if they can do anything, then maybe it's more time to hit some stuff in the middle of the field. Do you have any reason to think Oregon will be substantially better on the outside covering some of these Ohio state receivers? And by the way, Oregon had two guys in the secondary who were suspended last week who are back this week. They're starting nickel from last year and another guy who will be in the rotation. So they're going to have two guys on the field in the secondary. They did not have last week, which I don't know. Does that mean they stopped the two best receivers in college football? No, but they'll be slightly better than they were when they couldn't handle Fresno state. Nathan. All right. So what, what did you think Minnesota was in the secondary? And then what do you think what Oregon might be? I thought Minnesota in the end might've been like a two out of 10. In yeah, the secondary. And, and I think Oregon has to be at least more like a six, I would expect, probably. Like, I don't know. I, I, I still am holding out the possibility that Oregon had a bad first week, too, and that this could end up being the best defense Ohio State plays all season. But that's that's le- much less likely if if Thibodeau doesn't play. Um, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, though. I had to do a Q&A for our, our buddies at Oregon Live, another one of a, in the same company as us. And I, they asked like, what was, what's the thing that Stroud needs to improve on the most for this week? And that was what I said was that he didn't really have to make difficult throws last week, as we talked about in, in the analysis that we did of him later and that, that somebody's going to make him do that. It might be Oregon as early as this week. And he's got to handle those situations better. Either he was passing up some of those choices against Minnesota, or like you said, the, the one time he made the right read uh, on the interception, he just threw a terrible ball and, and led, led to a, a turnover. So that's still the one thing where, I, again, I don't know if it means that I'm concerned about him in terms of how it would lead to an Ohio State loss, just because I think they'll, they'll scheme other things and, and they'll, they'll get the ball to people other ways. I just think that at some point he is going to have to start showing that um, aptitude because that somebody is going to force him to do that. If it's not this week, somebody down the line is going to force him to have to make those throws. But it might be I week think- nine, right? It might, it, it, it's not instantaneous. And, and we all know, we all know he's a young quarterback and he's into it. We all do know that. Steven, go ahead. I think part of it is Minnesota just wasn't good enough to force CJ to do anything that Ohio State didn't want to do. They were giving up a lot of easy stuff, some stuff that they could just throw up a completion for six yards every single time if they wanted to do it. And then every so throw a deep shot and Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson would score. Oregon has more talent on defense, so they can be a little bit more aggressive and not just give away the easy stuff in the name of make Ohio State drive. They can actually, you know, be a, the, uh, their defensive coordinator can scheme up a little bit more than, than Minnesota can just because they have more talent. That's part of it. You can force CJ to the ball over the middle a little bit more than Minnesota was able to do. Tim DeRuiter, longtime college coach, former head coach. He's a defensive coordinator. He'll he'll try to have something, but I don't I don't know that it's yeah I, I it's I wouldn't call it concern. I, I have curiosity about CJ Stroud and why ask him to do things that he doesn't need to do for you to win. And he did make some good throws, and he did he handled it. The main thing is he handled his business, and man whatever you're 19 years old and you're making your first career start and you're down at halftime and you handled your business. Like I don't, to some degree, it's like, well, I don't know, who cares what your throws look like? You handled your business. You did what you had to do and your team won um, pretty handily and you took advantage of the guys around you. So I, I, I don't want to give the wrong impression about CJ Stroud, but I just also, I would not say like, Oh, good. The second half, good to go. Like I'm, I'm not there, but I, I don't think he, I don't think he can't do it. I just, I just think as Nathan said, sort of like it, you know, just I'm eager to see the next step and the next step and the next step, the running back. I feel like we've covered a lot with the Ohio state offense. We think it'll be Mayan and Travion Nathan. They have two five-star linebackers as Steven said off the top with Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. They both had, I think some issues in coverage last week, but they can fly to the ball. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't know how they're going to generate a huge pass rush without Thibodeau doing his thing, but they do have some other guys. 
they're going to have to run it some at least a little bit. Do you expect that the the run game for Ohio State will be able to get loose enough? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and part of it is just because, as we've discussed before, this is what Ohio State's offense is. It is it is founded in the run, and then they build off of that. And it, it that leads to just the formations you see from Ohio State. Um, I think you're going to see them when you're playing a team that is does have like potentially equated talent. You know, what does Ryan Day draw up to use that leverage that we've seen him use before? Use um, unbalanced formations, use motion. Like I'm, I'm intrigued by how they decide to attack that way and try to, you know, get those guys off balance and and kind of use them against themselves. All right, take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do the opposite side of the ball. We'll talk about the Oregon offense and the Ohio State defense. We'll do it next live with our Zoomers on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315. We'll get you in our next live Zoom. We'll get you the texts, ask questions, take surveys. We will get to our picks. We have what our texters said. I did uh, I looked something up for 10 minutes. Stephen, Oregon's in between on quarterbacks, and it's like the number one reason that I think there's not as much juice for this game. 2016, it was actually weird. <laughs> I didn't realize this at, sort of looking at it at the time, but Justin Herbert was in their 2016 recruiting class, but like Tristan Wallace was also in that class who was the guy who Ohio State originally recruited as a quarterback to then switch to receiver and went to Oregon. But Justin Herbert was not a gigantic recruit, but he was in the quarterback in the 2016 class. Oregon's 2017 quarterback was Braxton Burmeister, who started for Virginia Tech last Friday when Virginia Tech beat North Carolina. He was 12 of 19 for 169. He basically got tired of just of sitting behind Justin Herbert and transferred after the 2018 season. Their 2018 quarterback recruit was Tyler Shuck, who transferred after last year and started for Texas Tech on Saturday. And Texas Tech's win over Houston. He was 17 of 24 for 231. They didn't really have somebody in 2019. They're recruiting 2021 as this Ty Thompson guy. But you read the story, Stephen, of why Tyler Shuck left. And people kind of thought that Tyler Shuck left after last year, not because he thought he couldn't beat out Anthony Brown, but because he thought Ty Thompson was coming. Mm-hmm. And instead, Anthony Brown, the transfer from Temple, winds up winning this job. And they are, I mean, they recruited Justin Herbert, Braxton Burbeister, and Tyler Shuck in three consecutive classes. Those are three Power Five conference starting quarterbacks. And they're in a patch it together situation. I, I don't know the ins and outs of why they didn't just roll the dice and go with the freshman. But man, if they were 30% better at quarterback, I think there'd be. Not as many tickets left in Ohio Stadium. And I think there'd be a lot more to talk about with this game. Anthony Brown just does not do anything for me. And I guess this is the transfer world, right, Stephen? But they, they hit on some guys. They just couldn't get them to stay. And now they really are just, they patch the tire and they're waiting for the recruit who will start next year. Yeah, I'm not sure if Ty Thompson early enrolled or not. That, I mean, some kid like Spencer Rodler didn't either. And so that's part of the reason he had no chance of winning that job as a true freshman. So maybe that's part of it. But then also the other reason not- is Jalen Hurts was in front of him. But yeah, but he he chose to not early enroll before Jalen Hurts decided to transfer to Oklahoma. That those didn't, things didn't sure. coincide with each other. So maybe that's part of it. But also, it's still not that normal for two freshmen to start as the start at quarterback. Even though we've seen it in the past, it's still not the norm of things. Um, so maybe he just wasn't ready to start, so they wouldn't got a guy out of the transfer portal for a year, even if they were in a position like they are now, where he's clearly not the most talented guy on the roster. But if he's a little bit more ready to go than your true freshman is, and you know you have a roster that might be able to win the Pac-12, they're not Michigan, where it's in a do-or-die mode where you might as well start the true freshman so everybody knows that there's a future here. That's I mean, part Anthony, of it. Anthony yeah. Brown seems like a fantastic, spectacular backup quarterback for a power five team that is like playoff aspirant that if something goes wrong with the stud, then this is what you're falling back on. And that doesn't seem so bad because it's a guy who's got experience and he's, he's done some things in his career. He, I I wrote about this when we were doing our top 50 um, opponents over the summer that he, right before he got hurt there at the end at, at, um, before he had to transfer that he was starting to like turn up. Like he was starting to, you were starting to see a progression from him that you were starting to see better efficiency from him, just better, like 
beyond just the counting numbers, you were starting to see better stats from him. And then he got hurt again and it throws everything off. And he's been hurt a few times in his career. So he's, he's definitely like a grinder and kind of a survivor guy, but it's tough. It's I, I equate it to how, like, I think bears fans look right now at their quarterback situation. It's like, I don't think they hate Andy Dalton with a passion, just like, because he's Andy Dalton. I think they, if you've got Andy Dalton on your roster, that means you've got some stability in your quarterback room. I just think they know what the ceiling is with Andy Dalton. That's why they're eager to get to Justin Fields. Except Bears fans are pleading to start Justin Fields. I don't know if Oregon fans are necessarily pleading for Ty Thompson at the same rate, because I mean, he's the number 40 player, number seven quarterback, but he's not, you know, if they had Bryce Young right now, they probably would be pleading for the five-star freshman to be starting, but he just seems like a, a top 50 quarterback who can wait a year. Anthony Brown has like a long release. He got a ball knocked out of his hand on a pass rush where it was like he just went back to throw it and the guy like knocked out of his yeah. hand. He made a nice throw on a ball to the front corner of the end zone, like a deep ball, and like a 30 or 35-yard throw where he didn't even step because he had a guy in his face and he just kind of flicked it. Um and he had a 30 yard run at the end of the game on a fourth and two option, but I don't, he just does not look dynamic. He doesn't look dynamic. And then there's, there's solid guys around them, right? Nathan, we've been talking a lot about like the, not a lot about, so I would talk about the, the Oregon running backs a little bit. I just know both their names. So I feel like uh, we talk about them a lot. We've talked about Oregon more in the past year, probably than like every other opponent, non-playoff opponent true. in the history of Buckeye talk, except Michigan. That's fair. I will tell you this, as I, again, stump for my other show, the college football playoff show twice a week. Tuesdays, we answer questions. Wednesday, we rank all the contenders. On that show, we started the season with 10 national title contenders. Not to give it away, if you haven't listened to that Wednesday episode yet. But it's a tease, not a giveaway. We started with 10 national title contenders. Ohio State was one of them. So was Oregon. So at the beginning of the show this week, we had four candidates to add a team to the contender pool. And then at the end... We had four teams that we were thinking about. Let's kick one of them out. And the four teams we thought about kicking out were Iowa State, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Oregon. And I asked the tech subscribers, maybe some of you also subscribe to that, 817-442-6789. Who do you want to kick out of those four? And Oregon got the least amount of votes to kick out. People wanted to kick out Iowa State or Notre Dame or Clemson, which shocked me. But as someone in the chat has mentioned, the Pac-12 network is only available to people who live, I think, who stay at Fairfield Inns in Sacramento. I think there are six Fairfield Inns in the greater metropolitan Sacramento area. And those are the only six places where you can get the Pac-12 network on TV. So nobody watched them. But to my credit, I persuaded my co-host, Shahad, we kicked Oregon out. We decided that was not it. And I just was so unimpressed offensively, Nathan. It just felt, it felt Minnesota-like to me, like a quarterback who's okay, but isn't really going to do anything. And then their, their running backs are solid. They had two guys who combined, who 31 carries, uh, 128 yards. They're not as good as Mo Ibrahim, but like, I get it. They can do a little bit of stuff, but just not a lot of excitement from an offense to make them feel like they have any chance of scoring with Ohio State? I think if it was Minnesota-like, it might be more of a threat. You would have a team that kind of embraces how boring it is and how, how, how uh, limited it is in some fashion. So then it, it uses it as a strength almost. I mean, Minnesota's problem was not being able to – wasn't – not being able to move the ball and really score points against Ohio State it was that every time they gave the ball back to Ohio State in the second half, Ohio State immediately scored. So if Oregon were to be a like game control, clock control kind of offense, maybe that would be a bigger threat to Ohio State. The, the thing is, that's not what it's the opposite of their identity. Like Oregon football, and this isn't Chip Kelly anymore, but it's still all you know. It's it's under his what he started there, and I think they're going to want to like do what Oregon does and be you know a little bit more up tempo and attack you a little bit more, and uh, that's going to just leave more possessions for Ohio State. But I actually I don't, don't know if that is what they want to do, though. I don't know that. I don't no. think Mario Cristobal has anything to do with Chip Kelly. I think the fans wish they did that. But go ahead, Stephen. I also just I don't think Oregon's offensive line is good enough to get away with it. That's part of it. I mean, Minnesota didn't have the talent to play any other way, but also their offensive line was pretty good. So they could get away with having the ball for, what, 40 minutes of the 60 minutes. Yeah. Oregon can't afford to play that way because their line's not that good. But also they've actually got some weapons on the outside. 
and, and I don't and just to clarify, I am not saying that they're going to play the way Chip Kelly's teams played did, but I just mm. I don't see them being as deliberate as Minnesota was. Like Minnesota was crawling down the field. KB in the chat says, I live in Sacramento and I watched it. Doug is right. <laughs> How did I know? Did he did you have to go to Fairfield Inn to watch it though? <laughs> right. They had like or a nice did you like spread? Can you like go drive to a Fairfield Inn and like sit in their parking lot and steal their and Wi-Fi? Steal. I did that to record an episode of Book I Talk one time at a McDonald's down the street from me here in Columbus. Oh, love the Fairfield Inns. Love stealing McDonald's Wi-Fi. Love Fairfield Inn. Um, I do think it's very weird, I think, for Oregon fans. And I was reading a couple of the pieces that were written right after Oregon's loss. I do think it might be a thing there. Listen, Mario Cristobal's good. But can you imagine, and this is not an exact comparison, but can you imagine if Urban goes to the NFL doesn't really cut it and then winds up as the head coach of Iowa. And is it Iowa going like four to six, a to B make the great state of Iowa proud. Right. And that if, and say, say Ryan day was kind of like his offense wasn't as exciting. Right. And urban's over there being like, it's winner or loser day. I'm urban. And it's funny to watch like urban did the thing. I follow the Jags uh, account on Twitter. Urban did the thing where like you get the families involved with do with doing the captains and, yeah. and Ur- urban has done a lot of things in the NFL that he did at Ohio state. And some of them have gone over like a lead balloon They're not working. And, <laughs> and some of them people like, cause I definitely saw some people who are like, Oh, this is very nice and emotional. It's like, well, it's just the thing that did at Ohio state. It's like, Oh daddy, I'm so happy you're a captain. And it's like some of the so, urban's doing a lot of the same stuff, but Nathan, like Mario Cristobal is going to have a, perhaps unfair perception issue if Oregon winds up sort of playing like good solid football and Chip Kelly gets it going at UCLA and is spinning plates on sticks and juggling knives and everybody's going to be like, oh man, I remember when that was us. And it happened in week two because Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly to LSU and Oregon looked like nothing against Fresno State. It's a very weird spot for that program in some ways. It is a little bit. It hasn't been. It's it's been it's been weird in the other way where everybody was like wondering if like if the Chip Kelly thing was only ever going to work in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. Like it didn't work in Philadelphia. It did not work in San Francisco, and it was not working in Los Angeles until finally it seems like maybe they have turned a little bit of a corner. You, I think you saw some hints of it last year, and and, and talent wise, they've been doing okay. Like I feel like the talent has been coming along a little bit there. Sounds so good. it was just a matter of, it was a matter of, of finally something clicking in and it, it, it appears like it might be, but I, I agree that you're, and especially being in the same conference, it's not like Chip Kelly is at uh, Louisville and doing this. He's doing yeah. it just, just down the, just down the road in PAC 12 terms. He literally might Chip Kelly Oregon this year. It's at UCLA on October 23rd. And it's crazy. I mean, UCLA, DCR looks pretty good and Anthony Brown does not. And I it's, would say if, if I'm Mario Cristobal, this is part of my, I mean, if, if Kayvon Thibodeau is healthy enough to play, he should play. I think if there's any doubt at all, I understand why they're being overly cautious and you wouldn't play him in this game. Well, it's hard because it depends what your goal is. Like if, if, if Oregon gets blown off the field by Ohio state and then runs the table and wins the pack 12, they're not going to playoff. So like, I mean, but they're going to the Rose Bowl. That's good. Win the Pac-12. But it's like, you got to put on a showing against Ohio State if you're trying to do anything else. They've only made the playoff twice. The Pac-12's only made the playoff twice in seven years. So like, maybe that's not how they think in the Pac-12. But I, I don't know. I think if it, getting blown off the field might be the problem. That's a problem for anybody, though. If you get blown off the field once, it can capsize your whole season, as Ohio State fans know. But I think if they were to come here and just lose, whatever that means – and then run the table otherwise, but they'd have to run the table. I think they could get in with one loss and the one loss being at Ohio state. There's gonna be like 16 with one loss. There's no way they're getting, yeah, in they're not loss. getting in. No. We'll um, what else do we need to cover from this standpoint? I mean, I guess Nathan, uh, we don't know anything more about seven banks or, and cam Brown, right? I, I want to, not with any, not with any certainty. And especially after we saw seven banks, in the stadium, dressed down on the field, bouncing around, and still didn't play a snap. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little hesitant to project anything there. So I, I would say, get the texts, 
Well, I guess you all do have the text. <laughs> Saturday morning, we'll let you know what's going on. And what what did you see with Josh Proctor? You saw him dressed at practice. He was he was seen coming off the field. Yes, he looked having like he having just been at practice. It yeah. looked like he had practiced. Okay. Now, how much and whether he was just in pads and still off on the far field, like they usually do in the fall camp, we don't know that. All we know is we saw him walking in with pads, and he looked like he had just had a nice bath and gone through practice like everybody else. And we're repeating some of the stuff we said because we have covered Oregon a lot uh, this week. But, Stephen, I know you wrote about Denzel Burke this week, and people just in, right? I mean, the Buckeyes are in on Denzel Burke, and he's going to be on the field. Yeah, I mean, even if – if Seven Banks and Cameron Brown play on Saturday, I would expect Denzel Burke to be in whatever rotation they have, whether it's three or four guys. I mean, he played pretty well last Thursday he, outside of that pass interference. Which I don't – that's not really on him. I don't know what you want him to do about somebody just throwing a jump ball and knowing they're trying to get a call right there. So he was pretty solid. He graded out well, graded out as a champion, I believe. And, you know, Kerry Combs was pretty high on him when we asked him a million questions about starting a true freshman at cornerback on Tuesday. All right. Let's get to the picks. And we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Nathan, Stephen, Doug, and all our Zoom friends, the tech subscribers here. Tim W. says, is anyone nervous about this game? Kind of feels like we're going to roll them. I'm paraphrasing now. Like, I think that's I think that's kind of where we're getting. Joseph says, I'm not nervous at all. I I, I really think that's Tim. It just feels like we might roll. I think that's where we're getting. So let's get the picks off the bat. Again, 14 and a half is what I saw this afternoon. Nathan, what's your pick for the game? I am picking Ohio State 38 to 21. I'm going to take Ohio State to, uh, like I said, I I think they're just going to have more possessions. um, And I think that um, a home game like this, um, I I think it's going to make a difference too. I think this, you're going to see a pretty inspired team coming out and, um, and a team that's probably, I think I'm optimistic. They get a couple of those guys back and that's going to help the defensive side of the ball even more. If if they can get, if, if banks and Proctor both play and if Thibodeau doesn't, that's a huge talent swing in Ohio state's favor. So that's a, okay. A, somewhat cover. easy cover. Not, not a crazy cover, but yeah. 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 All right. Steven, what you got? 45-24, that's a pretty easy three-touchdown game, so it's a pretty easy cover. I just don't know who on Ohio State's schedule is going to keep them under 40 points in any game. They had 45 points last week and they had 48 plays, which is pretty ridiculous. So if you give them more possessions and more time and you combine that with these explosive plays, I just think they're going to be at least 40 in every game. And then the 24 for Oregon is less about Ohio State's defense and more about what I think Oregon's offense is. I don't think they're good enough to get anywhere over 24, maybe maybe 28. I'll give them that as well. But I just think 24 is where they cap out just because they're. I just don't believe in Anthony Brown, even if Ohio State's defense might still be a little suspect. Same range. I got 41-20. Same kind of thing. I think we're all – we're like three touchdowns or so, right? Not like they're going to win 50 to nothing. The texters, we're getting a lot of uh, similar scores in there. Aaron, 51-20. Joseph, 45-21. Brad, 35-21. Jock, 42-20. Mark, 49-24. In the 40s to in the 20s. Seems like a very popular thing. Given the point, 65% of the text subscribers who answered the survey this afternoon Given the points, take Ohio State minus 14 and a half. So it's about two to one, about two thirds taking the Buckeyes. Where are we? So are we all kind of, oh, I guess we're on, I'm on, what are your point totals, you guys? I don't want to have to do math. I'm 59. What were you, Stephen? I'm 69. All right. So Stephen, you're Sorry. over. You're over. Nathan and I are under. 63 and a half last week was 64 and a half for the over under now it's 63 and a half 72 percent of the tech subscribers are taking the over 28 the under i don't know <laughs> i might just the rest of the year be like i have no confidence in anything i'm saying when it comes to these picks i feel like i think it will go over but my score is under steven so i don't know how i'm supposed to interpret that you took the over do you feel very very good about the over 
Yeah, just because Ohio State's defense is going to give up some points and Ohio State's offense is going to score a lot of points. That's where it's coming from. The over is it's both the, uh, Ohio, Ohio State hasn't proven they can stop anybody and nobody's stopping Ohio State. So it's I'm easily going to take the over, at least for the next couple of weeks until this defense proves otherwise. Nathan, does that make sense to you? You and I are both under, but is that a decent strategy at this point? Yeah, it makes me um, reconsider my score a little bit because I, I think Steven is right that, I mean, Oregon just gave up 24 points to Fresno State, which is not anywhere in Ohio State's class. So um, to think the Ohio State's only going to score two more touchdowns than that is probably low on my end. I think that you're probably it probably does need to be a score up in the 50s or a 40s, I should say. So um, I'm probably I'm probably incorrectly under with that prediction. No confidence in anything I'm saying. Buckeye talk. That, that again is that, that I didn't suggest that. That's real. That, that's, that's real. that needs to be on a T-shirt immediately. It amazes me sometimes. Our post-game podcast numbers from the Minnesota game were absolutely through the roof. So I don't know. I think maybe we should avoid slogans like that because we're still tricking people because they're still listening. Um, that's how Doug is going to sign my book. That actually, I should just make that the default. No confidence in anything I'm saying. Please pay money for these words. One thing um, before we move on, um, Jim just pointed out a good point. It's supposed to be 82 degrees and clear skies. So mm. Ryan Day can let it rip a little bit more than last week when it was raining and then it stopped raining and then it started raining again. So, that, yeah, that matters. Maybe I am low with the with maybe they do get an extra touchdown in there, but I'm still going to stick with the 45-24. I know on the uh, – Joe Klatt thought maybe one ball slipped out of CJ's hands. Did you think the rain, like, significantly altered the game last week? Significantly yeah. altered? I, I wouldn't say significantly altered. I don't know if it altered anything from an execution standpoint. It might have altered like some plays they wanted to one, but we wouldn't know that because Ryan Day would never admit to that. But maybe, maybe just some uh, the things they wanted to do, they weren't able to do. But for the most part, no, they threw short passes like I thought they would. And, you know, they caught the deep balls outside of maybe two or three. Yeah, I feel better about giving the points. Last week, I felt better about the under and was wrong. And we were all very iffy on that 14-point Ohio State given those points, and it turned out that pushed. I feel better about giving the 14-and-a-half because part of the over I'd be worried about is like an absolutely non-functional Oregon offense, which leads to something like 49-to-10, you know, and that like Oregon does nothing and you wind up under there too. So, um, but I like I like Nathan. I, I feel pretty good about giving the 14-and-a-half given all the things that play here. Again, even if Thibodeau plays, I think that Ohio State can beat him by two scores. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Like I was like you last week telling people to stay away, and I think um, it seems safer. seems safer to to take that kind of – and I'm a little surprised to be saying that because I think if you had asked us in March or April, we would have thought 14 seemed kind of big, especially with a, if, 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 if mm-hmm. with the healthy cave on Thibodeau. Um, that's, it's part of the reason why I'm picking Ohio State to win by so much, but I, I kind of thinking even with Kayvon Thibodeau, it might be, it might be a safe pick. How much do you think, uh, I know the AD and or- Oregon at least wasn't happy about the idea that this game is at 9 a.m. Pacific time. That's, that's a little rough. It just so happens. It's like, listen, Fox loves the big noon kickoff. Now this is the deal. They're going to put their big games at noon. Steven, do you, would you factor that into anything? when you're evaluating this game from a gambling perspective that Oregon's going to be half asleep when the game starts? An offense that's already not very good is now working on a different clock than Ohio than they're used to. So maybe they start slow or maybe they don't get going to the second quarter because of that. So yeah, that we, I think we talked about that when they, the news first came out that this was going to be a new game, that that was an advantage, another advantage for Ohio state, just because your internal clock is going to be off. Oregon's probably usually sleep at noon time on noon Eastern time. While Ohio State's typically up eight eight thirty in the morning, getting ready for a game at noon. I don't know. I bet I bet there's a lot of guys on that team that are up that early. I mean, you got to go to class in the morning because you're practicing. Anyway. Yeah, but you're not hitting. You're not hitting anybody at early in the morning. Yeah, I don't know that that's the way bodies work. Like you're Buckeye talk. You're, <laughs> <laughs> I got a great one of those this week, actually, um, when we were doing uh, questions for your book for the pod, someone from the 208 said, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was a different day. It was it was Tuesday when I was doing all the updates from Ryan Day's press conference. And they said, 
Hey, Nathan, thanks for all the updates. I was on the golf course this morning, and it was nice to have something to read between holes. And I immediately <laughs> responded to them and said, it was nice to have something to read between holes. Buckeye talk. Oh, uh, we're going to get fired. Oh, my gosh. I always wonder. The, sometimes the people in charge of us do listen to this, and I sometimes wonder what they think. Uh, hey, um, if you guys have any questions, raise your hand or throw them in the chat. We'll, we'll answer a couple of them here as we get ready to kind of wrap this up. Again, we love having the tech subscribers. We want to you know, drop these Zooms in from time to time. 614-350-3315 if you want to be part of it. it I, I'm just, I'm like a little disappointed in this episode Nathan, because it wasn't quite as juicy, but like, I'm a little disappointed in the game. I just thought when we were doing this stuff, like all off season, ranking the best players on Ohio state schedule and getting ready for this came on Thibodeau being hurt as part of it, but just watching Oregon last week, they just weren't exactly what I maybe thought they would be. And I, I think it does have a chance to be a, a somewhat uninspiring game, which also is probably like, again, as people said at the start, why maybe people don't want to pay 160 bucks to be there. Yeah, I, I get it. I also think, though, that, um, you know, we talk about all the time, well, we dismiss these other teams because they don't recruit at the same level as Ohio State. They don't have any, like, top 100 and five-star players or an abundance of them. And now you're finally playing a team that does, and we're very quick to look at, like, one game and kind of write them off. So uh, there's a part of me that in the back of my head is, like, maybe Oregon's better than we think they are, and they'll look different on Saturday. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, everybody overreacts to week one. I think that that is some things that are happening potentially in a couple of the other games. Uh, I did ask people, I think the other two games that matter in the Big Ten, Iowa State, Iowa is the best game of the week. I'm very excited for it. I think it's a 430 kickoff in Ames. I'm like super jacked. I, I legit, I like it. I can't believe how excited I am to watch an Iowa, Iowa State game. It is by far the best game in the history of that series. It's the 68th Cyhawk meeting and They've never, they, I don't think they've ever been both been ranked this high for that game before. So that's like a legitimately big time game. And then Washington, Michigan is really interesting because Washington laid an egg last week. And I think people might overreact to that. And Michigan against a Mac team looked pretty good. So I did ask the Texters those two games. I don't have, well, I'll give my opinion in a second. Michigan is favored by seven at home over Washington. I said just pick the game straight up. Texters, 79% Michigan, 21% Washington. Iowa State is favored in Ames at home by four and a half. I said pick the game straight up. 82% for Iowa, 18% for Iowa State. Steven, we'll start with you with the Washington-Michigan game. This feels like the kind of game that Michigan's got to win, but this is also kind of a game, the way it went last week for Washington, that Washington's got to win. Did Michigan feel real to you last week? Do you think Harbaugh comes out and – they take care of business here and start opening some eyes. I don't know how much I'm ever supposed to take away from a big 10 team playing a max school, honestly. So I just took it with a grain of salt where they looked good. They executed some things, but they're supposed to win games like that. So I don't put much stock into that, but I will pick them to win Washington because they, I mean, Mac Lamar just looked a little smoother. He looked a little better than Washington's quarterback. So maybe that's why I'm picking Michigan, but it has nothing to do with them beating a Max. Uh, who they Western Michigan? I have no. It Western has Michigan, with, yeah. Yeah, it has nothing to do with that. I don't know who's going to win, but I'd take the points with Washington. I think you're getting some extra points because they were so bad last week. They're better than that. Nathan, the Iowa Iowa State game, I do think Iowa State's going to win. I don't know what I would do with the points. I would bet a money line on Iowa State. Um, I thought Iowa State against Northern Iowa last week. The defense basically held Northern Iowa down. They hit like two big plays on their only touchdown drive. Iowa State always starts off slow. They always have trouble scoring in the red zone. Iowa just like absolutely blitzed Indiana in a way that they got the, the crowd on their side and kind of got after Michael Penix. But, but I think that, you know, that there was a lot of emotion and momentum that went into that blowout. You had a good feel about Iowa last week. Do you think Iowa wins this one as well? I would take Iowa getting points in this game. I think Iowa is just I might I think Iowa might just be better than Iowa State. I'm not as high on Iowa State as some people are, and I have been kind of sneakily suspicious that Iowa last year had those two losses early in the year, very narrow losses, and then really turned it on 
um, that I think they just might be the team that everybody is a little bit still behind on, even after they took care of Indiana that, that easily. Uh, myself included, like I don't have them in my top 10 or anything. I probably even still have, I might've even had Iowa state higher than them in my poll this week, but I'm, I'm suspicious that Iowa isn't just better than Iowa state out. I wish this game was at Iowa because then this would be an easy answer. And just be, I'd pick Iowa like outright, but now I don't know. I just think it's, it's going to be, less, it's going to be a three point seven point game though. I'll, I'll confidently say that, but I don't, I don't know who's going to win that game. I think Iowa state's pretty good. Some people even put Iowa state in the playoff. So I don't remember who that was. Uh, we asked this question on Monday Madness. I want to get you on this, Stephen, and just get this out before we get out of here. Who's the second best team in the Big Ten right now? 53% said Iowa. 44% said Penn State. 2% Michigan. 1% Wisconsin. Nobody voted for Indiana. Somebody did text me and say, how come you didn't include Ohio State as, the second, as a vote for second best team in the Big Ten? And I was like, that is hot. I was like, who do you think is better? Are you like riding Iowa so hard that you're like, well, the Hawkeyes, I mean, they're the best. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was taken aback. I think they read the question wrong. No, they had to have read it wrong. They did not read it wrong. They wanted, they, because they, they said like the most talented team isn't always the best team. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. <laughs> I just didn't know who they thought the best team was. Cause, uh, Penn State. Tell Bama that. Penn State, because like Jahan Dotson got behind Wisconsin secondary a couple times. Steven, who do you think the second best team in the Big Ten is right now? Iowa. Okay. I think that's where we landed on Monday as well. All right. I, I don't know. It's it's a little rough, man. I'll be very curious. Someone by this guy, I feel like this kind of thing we should know. Somebody in the chat saying, uh, Joseph, Oregon's coach said they start practice at 8.45 a.m. And mm. Scarlett Dan Gray said Oregon has been practicing early in the morning for a month. So that would stink. You have to get up extra early for a month to prepare because a big noon kickoff likes to go in at noon. That was not as exciting as I hoped, as I thought it was going to be when Oregon was on the schedule. It's going to get better though. Future years, some other great uh, non-conference games ahead, Notre Dame, Alabama teams like that. All right. Oh, Eric has his hand up. Wait, I didn't uh, see any hands. I see a hand. Uh, Eric, go ahead. What's up, fellas? Hey, just a a big fan of the podcast. Let you guys know, listen to all the time. Um, very kind thank you uh two things one you guys at least have one tailgate down on 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 uh, campus for one of the games and two this question is for steven do you think um Jaden davis is going to commit after being here on saturday he said he's going to visit so i didn't know if that's something you need more about nah i nah. wouldn't expect anything okay. he's i mean he's going to go to some other campuses he's still got to go to an alabama game that's the number one qu- quarterback in the country i wouldn't expect anything from him until next spring honestly Okay. Thank you. He likes it. He really likes it up here though. Good. Thank you. We, we will uh, try to put together uh, a tailgate kind of thing again. We will, we will try to do that. Um, We'll try to do it. If there's interest, we'll try to do it. We did it. We did it a couple years ago. We'll try to do it again. That is a great suggestion. And we will try to uh, get on that Uh, hot summers. I unmuted you. Go ahead. Thanks. I was just going to uh, maybe a question for Steven. Is there any hey. communication between Ohio State and Drew Aller and kind of where might that be at right now? Um, yeah, Corey Dennis went to go watch him play football last Friday night. And it, I, I've said it to a couple of Texans when I've texted back when they've asked about this. He's their best case scenario of getting a 2022 quarterback because he's an Ohio kid who lives two hours from here and dreamed of playing at Ohio State. So, yes, they're going to take their best swing to flip him from Penn State. Do I think it's going to work? Probably not, because I, I understand the idea of, hey, come play for your dream school and in two years you can be the starter. Or he can just go to Penn State and quite honestly could be the starting quarterback next year, depending on how this room breaks out. He's just, I mean, Sean Clifford's gone after this year. So yeah, they're taking their best swing at him. He hasn't announced that he has an offer yet. I know somebody reported that, but typically we allow these kids the opportunity to say that themselves. So yeah, they're going to take their best swing at him. But I, I personally do not think it's going to work because Drew Aller's a better recruit than he was a year ago when this would have easily worked if he was, you know, in the 200, 300 still, but it's top 100 quarterback with, you know, NFL potential now. 
The heart wants what the heart wants sometimes. I'll be curious, right? I mean, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's hard for that kid if that's really what it wants to be. And it's almost like as much as there's a log jam now, it's like, well, you know, if you come and then you think whatever happens with Stroud and Ewers, well, they're going to go to the NFL. I mean, it's almost like Drew Aller kind of has almost a, a better path to the field than like Kyle McCord does. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like, it's yeah. like well, you get, you're the guy after it and you could see, all right, well, I'll come and maybe after – Waiting for two years, it, it really would be, if I'm ready, It's it really would make sense as my job. It, it'll be fascinating to follow that. You're asking him to be Mac Jones, basically. And then if let's just for the sake of the Jaden Davis question, what's, let's just say Jaden Davis commits here as well. That's your Bryce Young, where maybe he doesn't start as a true freshman unless he reclassifies, which isn't off the table. They're just not thinking about it right now. But, you're, but to the point you're asking Drew Aller to be, to be Mac Jones when he can be Penn State's Tua. But I don't think you're asking him to be Mac. You would just be asking him to wait two to wait. years. Wait two years and then play two. I don't think mm-hmm. that's right. I mean, if you think Quinn's only going to be here three years and you're the guy after Quinn's class, I don't I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, it's, yeah. it's I mean, just, Mac Jones is like Mac Jones was just like almost like an afterthought. So I don't yeah. I don't I think he would be have a better path to the field than that uh, unless he really, really wants to be on the field in year one or two. Again, I, I don't know anything about it. It seems like a tough pull, um, yeah. but I can understand why Ohio State is trying to do it. All right. Thanks, Zoomers. Thanks, texters. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, readers. We'll take your reviews at Apple Podcasts. Always love those. Read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Subscribe to the text at 614-350-3315. We will do another live Zoom in the future, and we'll see how much juice this regular season has. It'll be interesting, and I'm curious – to see what the stadium looks like on Saturday. This is something that people have really been waiting for a long time, but 160 bucks is a lot. And it's kind of a weird opponent and kind of a weird spot. So we will see the three of us will be there though. And we'll be texting and podcasting afterward. So um, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Clint. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, JJ. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Kaz. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Parker. Thanks, Roman. Thanks, everybody. We love being with you. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.